and welcome to this edition of the entertainment from the 573 it has been a minute everybody so hope you all are doing well and we are here today to talk about black panther wakanda forever the seventh film in phase four of the mcu and the 30th film in the cinematic universe it's it feels weird saying that because it feels just like years ago we were on 20 films but uh here we are with number 30 and that is wakanda forever probably out of all of the films that they released which the, there were three probably the one i was most intrigued by because of really what everything we're about to talk about with everything that surrounded this film uh who was in it who wasn't in it you know everything outside of it with chadwick's passing a few years ago uh two years ago to come to think of it but we're going to talk a lot about that as we try to unpack this film with some non-spoiler stuff so for those that don't want to be spoiled by it even though the film has been out a week uh, you can check in listen to the non-spoilery stuff and come back when you've seen it and you can listen to the part where we get into all the spoilery detail so that's really going to be the rundown for the show uh programming notes out of the way be sure to go check us out where you guys get your podcasts check out the views channel as well where you guys get your podcasts check us out on twitter for you know unless uh twitter dies as i'm posting the links to this podcast but uh we're still on there for uh, however long we may be on there at at 573 pods so if you want to go follow us before Twitter dies, go do it now. Um, but uh, I think that's all the programming reminders. Uh, going back to views, new views pod out yesterday. So if you really, if you love college football, if you love NFL, yesterday was the pod for you. So go check that out if you want to uh, hear me talk about what happened last week in the NFL and college football and all that good stuff. So I think that's everything out of the way. Uh, let's get on into the pod and let's talk about the non-spoilery stuff. So it'll be time stamped in the description, but just a reminder, here's where the non-spoiler stuff starts. So I'll tell you all when I get to the spoiler stuff, so I'll give you a heads up. So in, into this film, uh, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, directed by Ryan Coogler, who is coming back to direct the sequel off the tremendous success of the first Black Panther. Uh, me and Charles talked about it. We did a pot on it once upon a time a couple years ago and talked about how big it was, not just as a superhero movie, but as a movie in general, the cultural impact that it had and was the only MCU movie, to my knowledge, to ever be nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. So it had done a lot in its time, both in the theaters and out the theaters, and what it meant to a whole lot of people, what the child meant to a whole lot of people, what Chadwick meant to a lot of people. And so you, you're coming off of all this success, and here's the sequel out nearly five years later, almost, you know, more so around that four, four and a half years ago range. And here we are with the sequel. And of course, the sequel has been, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, what they were going to do once Chadwick had passed away. And it's been said in press junkets and on the official Black Panther Wakanda Forever podcast, uh, which Ryan Coogler was on talking about what the movie kind of looked like before Chadwick passed away. And really, it sounds like the backbone of that movie was about grief, which was a lot of what the backbone of this movie was uh, built around, in which, in that script, you know, T'Challa coming back after being flipped for five years, dealing with the grief of lost time and how to come to terms with that. You also had a couple parts that were included in this one about 
vibranium and how others are trying to take vibranium and use it as a, as their own, and use it as a weapon, rather as a tool like Wakanda does. And so some of those parts were in the original draft that Kugler had planned out for the first film, or for this film. And I don't know if Chadwick got to read it. There's been a couple different things I've heard about whether he got to read it before he passed or not. But that was supposed to be the original idea for this film. It always included Namor. So we were always going to get Namor versus T'Challa versus Black Panther and have that be our third act confrontation in that film. But of course we know that doesn't happen. Chadwick passes away. And you start to figure out, do we recast him or what do we do? You know, we got this whole cast of characters that really loved in the first one do we build around them and that's where they kind of lean with and they've talked about the recasting stuff and you know you look at how this film is i think you're going to decide you know whether recasting was better or not probably if you watch this film but i think if you look at it it was probably for the best to not recast and also it just would have been on set, you would have had somebody else coming in to play T'Challa after the cast and crew worked with Chadwick on that first one. So it just would have been, I don't know, it just would have been, I don't know what the right word is, but you know what I'm talking about. But this film comes out last week and doesn't make as much in the opening weekend as the first one does. But uh, it comes pretty close and does pretty well in the month of November. And I believe it's already passed around 400 million worldwide at the box office. So it is already making a lot of money. But as I said before, this one was the film I was most interested in because we didn't know what it was going to be and how it was going to feel like. And as far as the film, and I've said this in the group chat and I still kind of feel this way. It's not as good as the first one, but that first one is such a high bar to clear with everything we talked about with what that first film did. Such a high bar to clear with everything that it brought to the table with the score, costume designing, the story, the characters, the cultural impact. I mean, it was such a high bar to clear with that one. So. Inevitably, I kind of thought it was not going to be as good as the first because that is such a high bar right there to even get close with. But with what this film needed to do, with all this film had in it, with a lot of the emotion in this film, with all that you had to do, selling, setting up Talakon, setting up Namor, and what you had to do with people like Shuri, Queen Ramonda, uh, Mabaku, Akia, like what all you had to do with all these characters, I think they did actually a pretty good job with what they did, with how much they had to do in here. Of course, you got your regular sort of MCU type of stuff here. You know, Riri is probably included in that. But with all they had to do, I think you take a look at this and like they did a really good job with what all they had to do. And I think that was a concern going into this, and that's what made it intriguing, because what was this film going to be like? And you really felt the emotion of it, especially right off the bat, and you really kind of felt it throughout the film. You really kind of felt uh, T'Challa's presence, really kind of throughout the film, felt Chadwick's presence in this film, and, you know, you see his... This is celebration of life early on, and you see flashbacks and moments that Shuri has at the end. But with all it had to do as a film that's going that ends phase four, and with us not being in Wakanda for a few years now, and introducing new characters and setting up a, a new nation, and with the weight that it had on it. 
I think it did a pretty good job of doing what it did. And with the story, of course, this wasn't the original story. But I think this story, this is probably the best possible outcome of the story that we possibly could have had with everything that happened. And with the second film, you get a lot of the stuff that carried over from the first film that were standouts. The music, Ludwig Gornson is back. The music's outstanding. Soundtrack is awesome. You get the costumes are just amazing like they were in the first film. But now you have to do a couple more things, especially with Talacon and their costumes and how they look. And so you had so much more, but a lot of that carried on over into this film right here. So as a whole, this film, while not as good as the first Black Panther, with everything that it needed to do, with how loaded it was, it did a freaking awesome job of what it did. With everything that it needed to do and it felt like I really served as a wonderful tribute to Chadwick, to T'Challa, and what both of them meant to a lot of people around the world since he took on the role in Civil War. He had a huge impact when he took it, and it only increased by a thousand percent when Black Panther came out. And so I felt this was a really good tribute to the man that made the role of T'Challa well-known and celebrated throughout the world. And so I think that's all I had to say for non-spoiler stuff. Uh, of course, there is a mid-credit scene. There is no post-credit scene. A uh, couple other things before we get into the spoiler stuff. Um, Namor, played by Tino Schwerta. Uh, I mean, Namor has been somebody that a lot of people have anticipated for a long time. One of the oldest Marvel Comics characters out there that hasn't been in a movie. And he makes his debut, and he was awesome. He was awesome. I know a lot of people were wondering how comic accurate <laughs> they were going to be. And in the trailer, you see the winged feet. It was like, th th there it is. There it is. And uh, yeah, the winged feet were in here. and. He did a really good job. Tala Khan, uh, going back to, I guess, set design. I mean, Tala Khan looked amazing. And just seeing the design there with the people there, with what all they were doing, and kind of comparing that with Wakanda, it just, it was, Tala Khan looked amazing. And then, you know, Shuri's arc was particularly interesting and we're going to get a little bit into that with the spoilers stuff but how she starts the beginning of the film to the end of the film really interesting so i guess with that said let's get on into the spoiler stuff so heads up everybody if you want to check out and come back later on do so right now as we're getting into the spoiler stuff of, of wakanda forever So, I guess let's let's start with Namor here, since that was a little recent. Um, him and Shuri's relationship throughout the film really interesting, particularly the more silent moments where there's not any actions, action scenes happening, where they're just talking, whether. It's in Talakon, wherein he's showing her Talakon and giving him or giving her his backstory of him and how Talakon came to be and how Wakanda and Talakon are very similar in that they were both secret nations with Wakanda, you know, going out into the open, saying, hey, we got this vibranium. And we're gonna help out people in the world. You know, that's what we should do. And then you got Talakon, who is kind of in the same position that Wakanda's in, but 
I don't. There's no kind of intentions of doing what Wakanda did there, but you get these moments and conversations between the two of them, where Namor really wants to build an alliance between Wakanda and Talakan. And in the end, I mean, that's what ultimately happens, whether I think Shuri realizes it at the end or not, is that when they when she's in Talakon, when they're talking about about you know potentially forming an alliance, and Shuri's like, no, I don't want to do this. And Namor's like, when I, when I first showed myself to you, you know, I heard you wanted to want the world to burn, and Namor doesn't like the surface world. And in the end, he gets the alliance that he wanted. So him yielding at the very end was in his was in his own interest. Like, you know, sure, I may yield here, but I'm probably going to get what I want. And that is with what happens with Everett Ross, who comes back in this film and Val, who comes back and is later revealed to be Ross's ex-wife, which is <laughs> kind of legitimately shocking. And, you know, it, you can make the case that some of their appearances don't make too much sense. Well, more, well, more so Val. Ross makes a lot of sense because he appeared in the first one. But with them, it is kind of good to get sort of what the view of Wakanda not from Talakanda, not from Wakanda itself, but from other countries and what they see and what they perceive is going on. And what they see and perceive is that Wakanda is doing all the stuff. They want this vibranium and they want to use it to their own means. And they're thinking the Wakandans are doing all this stuff. And so that means they're inevitably going to come for Wakanda, which, ding, 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 Namor wants to go to war, a war with the surface world, and with the new alliance that both Wakanda and Talakan just formed, Wakanda will call on them to come and help when that inevitably happens. So Namor does get what he wants and acts in his own self-interest there at the end. So I kind of take it that's kind of like a, a comic thing where Namor, um, not as arrogant and not as much of a jerk as I've heard him be in the comics, but does act in his own self-interest here and inevitably getting what he wants. But those quiet moments where they're just talking about their own, their nations and like, who the who they are and where they come from uh, and you know you get to the action sequences and neighbor looks freaking amazing you know with the wings you're it looks freaking awesome and he is strong and it's said that the man is about as strong as a hulk so that brings uh, another power element to this universe with Namor, but he would he I thought it was just a wonderful introduction of a character of a villain of an anti-hero whatever you want to label him as I thought it was just a wonderful introduction into this universe that has not had Namor in it one of the oldest characters for so long and uh, now here he is and the making of it was the first mutant so there you go. We got that word popping up again. The M word, mutant. And he was the first one. Um, let's see if there's anything else you know, someone to say about Namor. Of course, we had sort of like two people around him, Atuma and Namora, who Atuma is a big Namor villain in the comics. And you have to wonder if his decision at the end to yield is something that Atuma is going to look at, and that might be a storyline to look at for later projects that they're involved in. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. 
So I think let's move on from Namor, um, who was, again, just amazing. And let's spend some time talking about some of the characters that we have in Wakanda. And uh, let's start with Ramonda and Shuri and, like, both of them. Um, Angela Bassett, I didn't mention this in the non-spoilery stuff, but she was only in this for maybe the the good first half of the film. But she was on it in that part. And we've seen clips of this, and we've seen some of it in the trailers where she's talking to the UN. And, like, we know what you whisper. And it's like, we're worried about what you all will do with Vibranium. We're not worried about the power of Vibranium. We're worried about what you all will do with Vibranium. And all this is happening while there's there's some soldiers and it's implied it's from they're from France and you got a representative of France there knowing what's going on and you got the door Melage coming in there wrecking shop and taking them and then later on like they bring them to the UN and it's like yeah you see you got these people coming in here trying to do the stuff and like listen we may have lost our protector but that doesn't mean we are weak. That doesn't mean we are weakened and vulnerable to attack. That if we see you do something like this, we will attack and we will fight. And just like her scenes were so powerful. Uh, particularly, it, you got a couple at the beginning where it's shown that T'Challa has died and you you get sort of like your brother has gone to the ancestors and you get that moment in the celebration of life where she's kind of just like looking around at everything going on. And uh, of course, sees the Chadwick, the child mural that we see in the trailers. And we see her throughout the film, you know, talking to Shuri, particularly where it's been a year after the funeral and they're sort of talking and it's just those quiet moments um, that were really big in this film. And yeah, one thing that also then mentioned, you know, in the non-spoiler stuff is that this film is two hours and 41 minutes. It is a long movie, and there's a lot of emotion in this movie. It does make you wonder how much repeat business, because like, oh, hey, let's go watch an emotional film that's going to be over three hours compared to the first one, which I believe was just a little over two hours. But, and, but a lot of stuff that contributed to that longer runtime is that you do get a lot of these silent moments in the film where there's just talking and really good conversations happening, introspective conversations happening between a couple characters. And then, of course, we get Ramonda's death later on by the hands of Namor when he floods the palace. And I do kind of find it really interesting that we do hear in the trailer her say it, and she says it in the film when she thinks Shuri has been taken by the Atlanteans, not the Atlanteans, uh, the Talakans, where she thinks that she's probably lost her daughter too. And we get that line where she's like, I'm the most powerful, uh, I'm the ruler of the most powerful country in the world and my entire family is gone kind of throwing an alley-oop here to what actually happens to Shuri with her entire family being gone so it's not Ramonda that feels that at that moment it's going to be actually Shuri that has to deal 
and handle that fact that her entire family is gone with her mom and brother being gone within a year of each other. And so I kind of look at that as like, they kind of lobbied that up to us to kind of say like, it's not going to be Ramonda that's going to be dealing with that, her entire family being gone. It's going to be Shuri and how she reacts and does what she does. But, and there's not a lot of talk about Angela Bassett maybe getting uh, an Oscar nomination here. I mean, and with her performance in this film, I mean, I'm all for it. You know, if this doesn't get any Best Picture noms, which I don't think it will, I think she should probably get a nomination. I think you're probably going to have some audio and score nominations here, costume design nominations here. But uh, her performance is really good. Um, let's spend a little time with Shuri. Because at the end of the day, she is the new Black Panther. And we, you could kind of sort of guess it was probably high on the betting odds that it was probably going to be her. Do have some iterations in some comics where she does don the mantle Black Panther all those different circumstances than in the film. But it has happened. And so the odds were high that it was probably going to be her. And essentially the trailers towards the end of the marketing campaign really kind of hinted like it, it's her. It's definitely going to be her. I mean, there's probably a lot of talk in the speculation of this movie about who's going to take it up. Was it going to be her? Was it going to be M'Baku or Nakia or Okoye? And we now know it's 1,000% Shuri that's taking on the mantle. But her kind of arc is interesting, of course. She's really has this, this grief, this burden on her shoulders of probably feeling like if she had found a way to make the synthetic heart-shaped herb in time, and maybe she could have saved her brother. And in the end, it doesn't happen, and she loses her brother. And she, and you know, there's a saying that everybody handles grief a little bit differently, and they handle it in their own way. And it seemed like she was handling it in her in her own way. But I don't know if completely she was handling it. And, you know, I think back to one line she said to her mom when Ramonda says, like, I can feel T'Challa, like, his hand is on my shoulder and all that stuff. And Shuri says, as somebody that is a scientist and that builds a lot of Wakanda's tech, like, that's just the construct of your mind. And one thing we see a little bit later on is that when she does actually make the synthetic heart shape or does she actually believe she's going to the ancestral plane like it's been said a lot of other previous black panthers do when they take on the mantle and so kind of her dealing with that her dealing with grief throughout this film and then going back to her relationship with namor and how she wants to protect riri from not being hurt by Talakon and Namor, and just how interested she is in Talakon and how empathetic she is. Of course, that changes a little bit later on. But just seeing her take on this, this burden now that she probably feels somewhat responsible for not being able to save her brother. And then, of course, we get to the scene where she inevitably does lose her mother. And it felt heartbreaking because again, going back to that line, she has now lost her entire family. Her father died in what in civil wars, probably a few years, you know, probably six, seven, eight years ago at this point, she loses her brother. And she loses her mom 
and loses those two within a year. So her entire family's gone. And she and she's now essentially taking on the the throne. It Namor kind of says, like, you're the queen now after he kills Ramonda. And you do feel like a lot of that could be could have been avoided with what happened with Namor and the Talcons flooding Wakanda if actually you know you get Nakia coming in there and help coming in and saving Shuri and Riri and Shuri you know with her character and with you know how T'Challa would have handled certain situations wanted to save that Talakan woman that was there that she was trying to kind of help and like give her a Kamoyo bead and try to heal her in some way. But we had that scene and that's really kind of like her time to really figure out who she's going to be. And so her and Riri, they then go to work and they try to figure out a solution for whenever Namor comes back or for them going after Namor. And she uses this, this, I don't even know what you call it, but this sort of relic that Namor had from his mother that she wore. And he had given it to (laughs) Shuri, which is like, okay, I'm giving this thing that belonged to my mom a long time ago. I'm giving it to you. Um, so, I mean, there's that, but with her kind of using that to really get some motivation, trying to figure out the synthetic heart shaped earth problem, because you think about a lot of this problems would have been, would have been solved if they had not let Killmonger take the throne and burn the heart shaped herbs in the first one. They wouldn't have this kind of problem where they probably would have had a Black Panther by now. But that little relic reveals some, it has some base stuff of vibranium in it. In which that's a lot of what Namor is wearing. And it was found in the ocean and we know that it was found in some parts of the ocean. And you wonder just like, how far does vibranium spread throughout the world? But anyway, we we get to that part where she takes the heart-shaped herb, and we mentioned that she doesn't know if she didn't. I don't know how much she believes that she's going to the ancestral plane, and she actually ends up there in a place where her mom died, and so she is there. And from what we kind of know based off watching the first one, really it's kind of going to get kind of the answers you want, get what you need, talk to the people that you want to talk to, that you need to, that kind of justifies why you're talking to them. And you, you know, we know we're not going to see T'Challa, so we know that's out of the picture. But we probably kind of think she's probably going to end up seeing her mom and getting to talk to her about what's going on. But we get the reveal. It's Eric Killmonger. Michael B. Jordan makes a cameo in this. And, you know, I do feel like with how close the cast was in that first one, that they were probably going to try to find find a way to get some Killmonger stuff in there and get Michael B. Jordan back because of how he and Chadwick, how close they were. But we get this reveal that it's Killmonger and it's actually kind of what Shuri wants to hear and kind of justify her going after Namor, trying to kill him and take a lot of his people with him. And who better to talk to if you're wanting that sort of thing 
than to go to Killmonger, who had vengeance and rage in his heart. And you got to imagine Shuri has some of those things in her heart right now based off of what happened. And so we get that whole conversation between the two of them about, you know, are you going to be noble like your brother or are you going to get stuff done like me? And she doesn't mention that she saw Killmonger after that moment. She gets asked a couple times, but she doesn't want to reveal it. And and look at her Black Panther suit. You, you get some of the bits of gold in there, which is what Killmonger had. But you also get some of the regular Black Panther T'Challa suit that he had. And we get that reveal that you know, the herb did work. She's got Black Panther powers. It makes her suit. And I got to say, the reveal that it's her and Jabari land, and you get that moment with her and M'Baku and testing how strong she is. I got to tell you, I really love that moment. That's an incredible interest, entrance for her. The music's incredible. You got the synth playing there. Really kind of incredible stuff there. But you really kind of see her and talking to Mabaku that she's got this idea of vengeance and wanting to give Namor a fight and try to kill him. And Mbaku, who is really awesome in this film, Winston Duke's amazing in this. And you see, like, early on, like, he is kind of on this idea of, like, yeah, let's kill the fish man. But you see later on, like, this guy is a god to his people. Cool, cool con. And I hope I didn't just butcher that. It's like, what's the risk of eternal war? You know, how, high, how much of a price are we going to be willing to pay for that? Between these two nations and between people that got a lot of different abilities and appear to be as strong as a lot of people that they have, or maybe even more. But Shuri has, is dead set on this, and of course we see her in that final confrontation, which is more so the real final confrontation that we're paying attention to compared to what we see on on the boat, which I don't get why you bring a boat out you know, with dealing with people that live underwater. I, I don't get that. And also, it didn't seem like there's too many Wakandans there, but I digress from that. But it really, that third act was about her and figuring out what type of person she was going to be. And you get that fight where both of them are just ruthless. And she has got Namor right where she wants him and that she is ready. But then there's this introspective of her moments with her mom and all this other stuff that she has. And she eventually kind of does see Ramonda and says the line that if you flash back to the first one, she says to the Chala, when him and Mbaku are battling for the throne, like show him who you are. And you also get another callback where she mentions the vengeance has consumed us and we need to not let it consume us anymore, which that's a flashback to what T'Challa said at the end of Civil War when he said it to Zemo. And so you get this beautiful moment where she kind of realizes me wanting revenge and me seeking vengeance. That's not who I am. That's not who my mother or my brother would want me to be. And you, I'm going to let you live. And so we get that moment there at the end where she is going to be donning the Black Panther mantle. And it looks like M'Baku's going to be leading Wakanda. So it looks like they've worked together some sort of partnership where Mbaku will take the throne and Shuri will take on the mantle as Black Panther. So 
Shuri can go do Black Panther stuff and Baku can help lead Wakanda as best he can. Which their relationship throughout the film is really good because we see in here that T'Challa actually wanted Mbaku to look out for Shuri and help advise her uh, if the need be. And that's what happens. But their relationship was really good. Uh, so you, you do get that stuff on, on the chase, that chasing in the, on the bridge in, in not Chicago, um, toward, uh, near MIT with Okoye, Riri, and Shuri. And so you get all this stuff. I got to tell you what, that action scene on the bridge between Okoye and Atuma, really great. And kind of like their whole back and forth throughout the film is really good where they just, they're just like, warrior. And of course they get their final battle there at the end with Okoye wearing the Midnight Angels armor. And so you, you had that chase scene and you get Riri's introduction and we know we're going to see her a little bit later on. I think Ironheart's coming out next year. So it's not too far off. But uh, it kind of felt like a lot of other introductions in Phase 4 with uh, somebody who's younger, who's like 16, 17, 18, 19, around that age range, really special, really talented, gifted, may have superpowers, may not be, or may just have incredibly high intelligence. But you're in that type of scenario there. Uh, with a Koye, with her arc, with her being, with her having the title of General of the Dora Milaje stripped away after what happens when she loses Shuri and she gets taken to Talakon, where she asks to be taken to Talakon. And just kind of like how she comes to grips with that. And so she's going to be in a new role throughout Wakanda's future as well. But, uh, let's see if there's anything else that I want to talk about before we get to kind of like what everything's setting up at the end. It does feel like this film is setting up a lot of different things in this movie, maybe Thunderbolt stuff, Ironheart stuff, a lot of different Phase 5 and stuff that could be happening. Uh, with Wakanda and Talakon, and maybe them together, maybe Namor. But it, it is setting up a lot of different stuff. So I guess let's get to the mid credit scene. And of course, this is something at the end with Shuri, and she finally does do that ritual that Ramonda wanted her to do a year after T'Challa's passing. And burnt those garments and kind of has this beautiful moment and it's just silent and you got Rihanna's song lift me up kind of coming up in the background a little bit later on but just kind of a beautiful moment there and of course she's there in Haiti uh, where Nakia has been with uh, the Wakanda Outreach Center and you know that she's uh, She's been gone for a few years, and we get her explanation of why she wasn't at the funeral. And okay, it, that makes a lot of sense. But we see at the post in the mid credit scene, after we're done with the film and we get the credits, we get the scene where it is revealed that Ikea and T'Challa actually had a son. And timeline-wise, I think probably about seven, eight years old, maybe. I I don't think anybody really knows. But they just cast the most wonderful kid in this role, which I've been seeing everybody saying. is like, they're not wrong. And we did see him earlier in the film. We, we did see him earlier where Ramonda goes to meet Nakia and ask her to go and get Shuri and Talakon where we do see this kid. But you think it was like, oh, they cast this wonderful kid as one of these extras. Well, of course, we find out this reveal that he is actually Nakia and T'Challa's son. And they have this conversation about 
you know, we felt we celebrated him here when he passed and didn't feel the time was right to go back to Wakanda after his his funeral, after his passing. That was best to just celebrate him here. And it sounds like it was a group decision from T'Challa and Nakia and their son, who is named Toussaint, which has some significance if they are in Haiti. And Toussaint is the name of one of the big time leaders in the Haitian Revolution. And so you get that little reveal there. And just Shuri's reaction to seeing him. Letitia Wright did a good job in, in that scene and just how she performed and like and just seeing um her kind of her nephew, her brother's son, and just seeing him and getting to interact with him and that she's finally got she does have some family out there in the form of her nephew. And just seeing them interact uh, was really just good fun. And then we get this reveal uh, where <laughs> the son says, you know, she, he asks, do you, you know, do you like, can you keep secrets? Do you like secrets? And reveals to Shuri that Toussaint isn't actually his real name. That's his Haitian name. And reveals that his Wakanda name is T'Challa. And again, that scene is just so, so good. It's so good. And you get that reveal that, you know, once he says, my name is Prince T'Challa, son of King T'Challa. And it, you, you can't help but have a smile on your face when that happens. It's, it was so heartwarming. And we don't know, I mean, if this kid is eventually going to end up taking on the Black Panther mantle. I mean, that still feels like a year's away from happening. Of course, I mean... With secret wars happening in a few years, I mean, who knows? But, and who knows when we're going to get a Black Panther 3. But, in a way, even though it's not T'Challa, the one that we know, that this is a new generation, that this is a new T'Challa, and that this T'Challa, I think, will inevitably be somebody that ends up on the throne and you know it was kind of a thought that came to my mind when talking oh, and I don't know if this was via podcast or via somebody talking about it on whatever media but talking about how this kid's first impression of Wakanda is going to be different a person that was not raised in Wakanda and was a decision that was made like we're not bringing him to Wakanda, not just yet. And kind of like flashing back to how Killmonger, when he was a kid, was not brought to Wakanda. And so just that kind of contrast in, uh, in those kids and how they're going to be introduced to Wakanda when they finally go there uh, is really kind of noticeable as well. But, I mean, that post credit scene, I mean, I don't know how you could not in that post that credit scene with the smile on your face by the end of it, it, it was, it, it was just wonderful. And to have that scene there with how great it was performed in that scene, uh, it was just absolutely wonderful. And so we now have Prince T'Challa that we are waiting on as it seems like again, M'Baku's, Taking the throne, sure he's gonna be Black Panther. And so we'll have to see, but it seems like they are setting up something to where he's probably gonna be leading Wakanda years from now. We just don't know when. But uh that was a wonderful mid-credit scene for what was already filmed that dealt with a lot of motion 
and all that stuff and you get this mid credit scene and you tack on that and it was just a wonderful scene to end the film on so i think that's all i have to say about wakanda forever again it was with everything they needed to do in this film with everything they had to do in this film um they did an awesome job uh, they did an awesome job with everything they had to do and again it was i think a really wonderful tribute to the man that really made an impact on a lot of people around the world with him taking on this role and what it meant for him to take on that role and so that's my thoughts on wakanda forever our final film of phase four our 30th film and our seventh film of phase four which uh, wraps up this phase as we head on to phase five next year so we'll see if uh, we can do something later on talking about stuff happening in phase five and phase six and maybe we'll talk about some phase four rankings with all these shows and uh movies that we've gotten we still got one more i guess you can say phase four property left and that is the guardians holiday special which is next week so if this isn't technically the end next week will technically be the end when when the holiday special comes out so uh, maybe we'll try to do something like that uh the comic book movie draft you talked about here it does seem like with our schedule it, it's probably going to get pushed back to 2023 and probably early 2023 so be on the lookout for that that's probably going to be one of our first pods on the channel um next year so be on the lookout for that but that is all i have for you all today uh hopefully you guys have enjoyed wakanda forever as much as i did and if you haven't seen it yet you know be sure to again yeah check out this pod and come back later on but uh that's all i have for you all today so hopefully you guys have a good rest of your weekend and you can find us on twitter at 573 pods for again however long twitter's gonna be up it uh it might be dead by the time this link is posted but uh we'll see but uh be sure to go check us there at 573 pods be sure to go check us out wherever you guys get your podcast give us a follow there subscribe rating all that good stuff that's all i have for y'all this week so take care have a good rest of your week and we'll see and with thanksgiving coming up next week uh hopefully you guys have a good thanksgiving enjoy all the food and football and spending time with your family that you can next week as the holidays are approaching they've Come up quickly. So thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time.